Uh, if you need a Bible, per se, you, uh, one of our ushers would be more than happy to hand you one. Or if you got one on your cool devices, I love the devices that you can, because you can get any translation, any, at every, it's your tip of the finger, really, really quick. And, and some people really enjoy certain versions of the Bible. In fact, they have great, strong convictions about that. Never forget being invited to a, a pastor's conference once that I was asked to, to be the lead teacher and communicator. And uh, a whole church, several churches would not come because I don't always teach out of the King James Bible because I taught out of the New American Standard or sometimes I would use the NLT. And uh, I'm like, are you kidding me? You won't, you won't come? Like they were so convinced like the King James is the only version from the 1600s. And that, that's a, it is a great translation, by the way. Some of you love King James. And I want you to encourage you, please, if that's your version, go for it. But uh, I, don't, I don't know. What, what version do you like? Because there's a great belief and convictions that you may really appreciate and like. I, I love to teach out of the New American standard, and, and uh, that's what we're going through. But I know there's some other convictions and beliefs probably that people have that you are really firm about? Like a, do you like being a red state or a blue state when it comes to politics? Hmm. I look in this room sometimes, I wonder if you worry about masks or no masks. Truly, I mean, and, and it's, an, it's, a, it's a deal, it's a thing. I, I wonder, do you fist bump? Is it about the elbow these days or do you, do you go all in for the hug and kiss? I mean, where is it at? Where is our, you have a belief system, a great conviction on where things might be. Maybe it's uh, that black lives matter or every lives matter. It's like a a thing that we want to be so strong and convinced about. Some are all about uh, the right for a woman to choose. Some are all about the right for life. We have these great firm beliefs, whatever they might be. Maybe it's the identity of my sexuality, or maybe it's the identity of I I, I need to be a certain type of of parent. Uh, I know years ago in churches, it used to be like, I'm homeschool and I'm not homeschool, but now we're all homeschooled, so who cares? It doesn't matter. And and, and somebody likes, uh, when I have Chinese food, do I eat with chopsticks or no? It's a big issue. Have you never had that before? You, I look, I'm, maybe you online, and that's been an issue. I've had friends, I sit down and have Chinese food, and all of a sudden they pull out, uh, they're like, no, 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 you can't eat it with a fork. I'm like, <laughs> I'm as white as they come. I'm like, come on, I, 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 I can't. Uh, it's hard, it's hard, it's difficult, it's difficult. And there's some great beliefs and some great convictions that people have. And I just wonder today, I wonder today, whether you are at home or right here, how come we're not so convicted about the authority of God's word? How come we don't hold this to be our truth in everything that we believe in? Like we're so firm and and stand firm with this in God's ways and God's victories and, and, and how he desires for us to live and to be. I wonder why as, as followers of Jesus Christ, why we cannot in one accord, with one heart, in one mind, in one soul, be unified, be, have great conviction for this word that is God's authority. So today, we've titled today's message, 
whoa, <laughs> living with conviction. Because we want you, I believe it's God's desire for all of us to live with great conviction. We find that right here in, in Nehemiah chapter 10, verse, verse 1. Look at it with me. It says, now on the sealed document were the names of Nehemiah, the governor, the son of Hakaliah, and of Zedekiah. And then there's this list of a whole bunch of names. In fact, there's 84 names in all from verses 1 through 27. And these names represent priests, Levites, great leaders within the community. And they said this, verse 28, now the rest of the people the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves. Would you say it with me? They did what? Separated themselves. Come on, everybody. That's three, two, one. What? Separated themselves. You want to maybe highlight, circle, underline that right there. From the peoples of the lands up to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all those who had knowledge and understanding are joining with their kinsmen, their nobles, and are taking themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses, God's servant, and to keep and observe all the commandments of God our Lord and his ordinances and his statutes. You see, what, it, what has happened and taken place, because maybe you're jumping in, this is the first time you've been here, and you're like, what's going on? Nehemiah chapter 10, we're right in the, in the middle of things. You see, what, what has just taken place, they've been building a wall, and it took them 52 days to, to rebuild this wall in the city that was really, they were living in rubble. The walls were down, everybody was discouraged, and, uh, but they didn't realize how bad it was until they started rebuilding. And they realized, like, wow, there's purpose. There's a plan that God has for the city of Jerusalem for this day. Even after many, many civilizations have conquered it over and over again, God's had a purpose and a plan for this place. And he brought a leader named Nehemiah to remind the very people who lived in that city that they were God's chosen people. Years ago, God brought this man named Abraham and he brought them to, from the Ur of Chaldees to this, to this place in Israel, to this place that said, this is gonna be your home. This is gonna be your land. And I want you to, to be my special chosen people. And he had these kids named Isaac. And then Isaac had, he had uh, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, would, God would transform his name. He would change his name to Israel. And Israel would be the representation right here of these people. And they lived there in the city and they had this great kingdom through, uh, once uh, God established a first king, his name was Saul, and then he established the next king, David. And David had a son and his son was Solomon and Solomon had this beautiful reign and everybody, the, the, they built this temple that they would worship and praise God at. And it was seen as the, the greatest, if, if there was a, the great um, Seven wonders of the world. This was the wonder of all the world of, of what was made and created by mankind. This temple. It was beautiful. And then it would be conquered and, and destroyed because the people of Israel, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, they took his word and they stopped applying it. They stopped believing it. They stopped living with conviction for his word. And God said, fine, enough's enough. I'm going to have a, a kingdom come in, Babylon, and they're going to come and take you out. King Nebuchadnezzar, he took all the people and he moved them to, to Iraq, modern day, or in those days, Babylon. 
And then Persia takes it over, and Persia is now run by uh, uh, this new king, King Arxerdes, and, and he put it on this, this Jewish priest named Ezra to go back to the land. And, and then and you could read all about that in the book right before Nehemiah, and then, then this cupbearer who stands next to the king named Nehemiah, he's been praying and yearning because he's heard about how God's people, God's place, his chosen city is just in rubble and ruin. And he wants to bring people back to just the good old days. He wants to bring people back to what really matters, back to the, the heart of the issue. He wants to bring people back to the understanding that God loves the Jewish race, that God loves the Israelites, that God loves his people so much that he, he wants to like, let them rediscover this wonderful love and conviction for, for the things of God. And so through the grace of God, he, God speaks through King Arxerdes and, and Nehemiah comes back and he helps remind the people of this wonderful, wonderful love. And after they finished the wall in 52 days, they stood at the, the water gate in Nehemiah chapter 8, and they read from the Word of God. And it's fascinating what happens. You see, faith itself, faith in God comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of God. And they began to listen to and rediscover again anew God's Word. And as it was at the water gate, like a, a cleansing, it was, it was almost as if like the, the Word of God itself just as Ephesians 5, 25 says, or 1 John 1, 9, that God would cleanse them of all of their unrighteousness. That the water just kind of purified their lives. Some of you get the, the drinking water that's been purified, and you feel much better, I'm sure. But imagine what the Word of God can actually do. When the Word of God comes into your life, and, and, and it just filters out the impurities, and boy, did it filter out some things. And they discovered things, that they were in deep sin. Pastor John last week even shared how, how they began to repent of their sin. It's something fascinating when repentance does something within us. Repentance brings about obedience. And they began to be obedient to the Word of God. So much so that they said, I want to take a vow. I want to take an oath. I want to hit... If I, if I could, for a moment, I want to hit reset in my life personally. That's why we titled this, this back half of Nehemiah, Reset. We want to just hit reset and, and get back to what really matters. And what really matters was following the Word of God. How, how much, and I just want to say, just for a moment, I wanted to put this thought into your mind for just a second before we, we dive in deeper into this context. How, how many of you, and, and this is rhetorical. Please don't, don't, don't raise your hand. Okay. How many of you really need to hit reset in your own life in following Jesus' word? How, how many of us really need to just, just for a moment, just like, you know, there are things that God has asked me to do. He's been at, just putting on my heart. And I've chosen, I've chosen, chosen, that's, that's, a, that's bad grammar. Okay. I've chosen not to for some time. I've just chosen, you know, I don't, I like the way that I'm doing things. I, I really enjoy my, my path, but then later on, a couple of days go by, maybe a week or a year, you start to lament, and you're like, oh, I wish I didn't do that. Oh, I, I, why do I keep going back to the same things? 
I always have an example for me and my wife. We've been married for like 18 years, and, and uh, for years she always says, can you pick up the clothes next to the bed? Can you just pick up the clothes next to the bed? And just last week there were clothes next to the bed. And I see that, and I go, man, I know, I know, and yet I don't. Why do we do that? Imagine God's word, like, you know certain things he says to do in his word, but yet, like, yeah, well, God hasn't come back yet. I'll put it off. I'll eventually get there. I'll grow up to maturity one day. Well, I want to say, why not now? Why not now do we not live in such a way with great conviction? Some of you are so passionate about other things for other people, and you post it online. You are so passionate about your food on Instagram, and you let everybody know that this is the best food, this is the best thing in town, that you, you, you got your Insta story on. Some of you are so passionate about certain aspects within this world, and yet I wonder, can you not just be passionate about the things of God and His authority of Scripture and His Word right here? You see, Nehemiah was so passionate about, about what God had done in his heart, in his life, when he saw this rebuild, and he saw what was happening with his city, he wanted to put his name first. Who's the first name that you see on this document, chapter 10, verse 1? It says, were the names of, and it says, Nehemiah, the governor. I think it starts with leading by example. If you want to see a kingdom change, if you want to see a world change, there's got to be a leader up front to, to lead the way. That's why Jesus came, and he led in such a way, in such a powerful way. He, he led with all humility. God knew that we were sinners and needed to be saved, and so he, he made a way when there seemed to be no way, and he, gave, he came to this earth in the form of humanity. When every human on this earth has sinned and fallen short of his glory, he lived a perfect life, and he led the way for humanity to be saved, so he gave his life freely. Now, no, no Roman soldier put him on the cross. No Jew put him on the cross. No, he put himself on that cross. He became a sacrifice for our sins. He died so that you and I could know what love looks like. Greater love is no one than this, the one who would lay down his life for somebody else. Some people might die for a good man. Some people might die for an okay person. You might die for your spouse. Maybe not. I don't know. You might die for your kids. But Jesus would die for the worst of the worst. He would die for the, the least of these. And he became the least for you and me. He loves us so much that he wanted us to know that there, there could be a way. So he led Nehemiah, I believe he's just following the example, and he's been moved by God's word. It was God's word that led him, that led this whole community to repentance, and not just him. And then it says this whole list of 84, and then it says, verse 28, notice, highly circle underline this, it says, the rest of the people, everybody, everybody in this room had gathered together. Can you imagine if you, me, you, 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 you online? You, 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 Every single one, you, you. Yeah, you right there, little dude. Yeah, 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 right there. What if we all, in this room, took an oath? Put your hand on God's word. I, Joshua Perlman, will never again go against God's word. 
And if I do, there will be a curse upon me. Well, I don't know about that part, okay? (laughs) But this is what they did. They were so committed to it because in those days, in the ancient times, if you made a, 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 a covenant, a vow with another nation or another kingdom, you would ask for a blessing so that you can get, uh, if you did it right, but you would also say a curse if you did it wrong. And here they're going to the king of kings, to the Lord of lords, and they're like, all right, fine, I, I, I want to go, go all in. I want to live with deep, deep conviction. And what were the areas that they, they said they wanted to follow? They wanted to go back to the old ways, the old standards. And theirs was to be, again, as you, I asked you to highlight circle underline, it was to be set apart, to be separated, not to be a part of these things any longer. Like the ways of the world. Why do I want to be a part of the world? God had a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession to be set apart for him so he could get all the glory. He said, look what I've done for the Jewish race. By the way, it's the only race and, or the only, the only group of people that have still lived from the very beginning to today. It's the people that didn't live, like they didn't have a home, and yet God said, I would provide you a home. And then Israel is created in 1948. We're going to preach about that in a couple weeks. You're not going to want to miss that. But and it has a lot to do with Nehemiah, in fact. And he says, man, I just, God, God, is, God is just... He's got his people. He's going to glorify his people. And he wants to glorify his people now. And I believe now we need to start living with conviction. Well, these are the areas that they did, verse 30. First one, that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land to take their daughters for our sons. Secondly, as the peoples of the land who bring wars uh, and, and any grain uh, of the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or the holy day, and we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. And, and finally, that we also placed ourselves under obligation to contribute yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. For the showbread, that means the, the bread of face or the, the bread of his presence, for the continual grain offering, for the continual burnt offering, the Sabbath, the new moon, for the appointed times, for the holy things, and for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our God. They said, all right, number one, I, I care about my, my family matters. I want to care about my households. I want to care about the marriages. In, in those days, the Jews were not supposed to marry interracially with other nations. They, they weren't allowed to. God said in his word, I want you to be set apart from me. So only if you're a Jewish boy, go marry a Jewish girl. That, that was your job. That was the, 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 the process. And if you became a Jew from another nation, that was okay. You were, you were part of the, the family, but it was to be set apart. But they began to intermarriage uh, between other nations and other kingdoms. And they said, no, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to be sold out for you. Secondly, they, they, they said, we're going to make our business activity all about you. We're no longer going to do work on Saturday, which was their Sabbath. It was a day of rest. You know, a lot of us think in America, we have to work every single day to, to get that extra dollar. But you know who is the number, I think it's number three fast food restaurant in America? Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A. I didn't need my Chick-fil-A. Uh, uh, 
Sorry, it was a song that was recently written. But uh, I, I, I look at this company. They have Sundays off because their founder, their leader wants to just honor God. And God has honored them immensely. And this is how God wants to honor the Jews. And they said, hey, take a day off and I will supply the extra. And then he said, thirdly, uh, there in verse 31 at the second half, they said they won't, on the seventh year, they will not exact like debt. They're not going to do usury anymore. They were doing that. They were causing, like, they would charge people extra if they didn't pay off anything. He said, no, back in God's word and the, the Torah, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the Old Testament, it says, according to as Moses took the tablets down from the mountaintop, it said, God would, doesn't want you, the people, the Jews, to charge people after seven years. If, they, if there's a debt, let them go free. I want to live in that country. If, if I had a mortgage, you know, after seven years, like, oh, I'm paid off? Cool, right on. Like, how neat would that be? That, that was great. They didn't, they didn't hold that anymore. And then, and then finally, they said, we're, we're going to tithe. They had forgotten to tithe. They, they didn't have that yearly contribution to the church, to their building. Like, how else do they provide the bread for the, the priest to put on the, the table of showbread? Which means the bread of the presence, the bread of face. It's as if they're communion and having time with God. How are they going to supply the, the things that they needed for every single feast to happen there at the temple? Because every church, every establishment, it costs. It, there's so many things for cost. And like, hey, we're not going to go there anymore. In fact, so much so, they were propelled so much. Look at it. It says 12 different times in, that they had forgotten about their, their resources. They wanted to be all in for this. Look, it says in verse 34, 12 different times you'll see the word first. They wanted to put God first in every area of their finances. Likewise, we cast lots, verse 34, and supply wood among the priests and the Levites of the people so that they might bring it to the house of our God according to our father's households at fixed times annually to burn on the altar of the Lord their God as written by the law and that they might bring the first fruits. There's the first time you're gonna see that and we'll see 12 more on the ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree for the house of the Lord annually and we're going to bring to the house of our God the firstborn of our sons, of our cattle, and the firstborn of our herds, and our, the first of our flocks, as is written in the law, for the priests who are ministering in the house of our God. We're going to bring the first of our dough, our, our first of our contributions, the first fruit of every tree, the first of the new wine and, and the oil, and the priests and the chambers and the house of our God, and the tithe of our ground. The tithe literally means the first. It's the 10% of everything. And our ground of Levites for the Levites and, and are they who receive the tithes in all the rural towns. The priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouses. For the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain the new wine and the oil in the chambers. There are the utensils of the sanctuary, the priests who are ministering, the gatekeepers and the singers. Thus, we will not neglect the house of our God. I love this line. I love this last statement. This was their heartfelt. This is what they signed on for. This is what they were all in. 
They're going to be all in. They had great belief and conviction. We're going to give God our first of everything because thus we will not neglect the house of our God. They didn't want to neglect anymore. They've done a lot of neglecting over the years. And I bet you, every single one of us, at some time or another, we've neglected the house of our Lord. We've neglected the house that God's called us to. Now, in, biblically, there's two houses. One is the physical house. There's the, the place that you gather for worship. The, gather, the place that you call the, your church, your home. Your, your, your church really, in, in the Greek, means ekklesia. It's, it's the, meaning the gathering of people. But we gather at a place, we gather here at Refuge Calvary Chapel Surprise, and, and, and we, we were all about this. And sometimes we've neglected putting God first before things. We haven't done that. But also, we've neglected spiritually. Because where does God dwell now? He doesn't dwell in a tabernacle. He doesn't dwell in a temple. Where does God dwell now? Okay, maybe you online know, because people here forgot for some reason. Okay, so... You can type it in. He dwells in you. Okay, turn to the person next to you. He says, he dwells in, in me. Come on. He dwells in me. Come on, everybody. If you got nobody, hey, he dwells in you. He dwells in you. He, he, he's dwelling in you. He dwells in you. The Holy Spirit, God himself, dwells within you. Look what he says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 and 15, 19 and 20. I'll put it up on the screen for you. You're welcome to take, take notes, put it there next to your scripture. But it says this, now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies, your bodies are members of Christ? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? He says, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. See, you have been bought with a price. The Holy Spirit lives within you. Therefore, you should, I should, we all should glorify God with this body. We should go all in for Jesus. When you jump in the pool, do you kind of just do a little toe tap when you want to get in? Or if you're a lady and you just did your hair and you don't want it to get wet, do you go all in and just, just not the head? But then you have a child with you and they always splash that water and you're like, don't do that, don't do that. And you get all upset and offended. And you're like, you're like, no, wait, 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 wait. I'll just get all the way in. And when you finally get all the way in, you're like, yeah, I really needed that anyway. Do you realize the Holy Spirit's in you? He wants you to go all in, submerge, get into it. Like, like today, we're gonna have a baptism afterwards because somebody in this room wants to tell the world what God has done on the inside. And they don't wanna just go halfway, they wanna go all, way, all the way. They want to tell everybody that Jesus Christ is Lord of their life. You know, this is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says it this way. Your sanctification. That is a big word that just simply means to be set apart for God. What did the people do in Israel? There at the temple, by the water gate, as they signed a commitment? They said, I want to go all in. I want to be set apart. You know what God's will for your life is as a Jesus follower To be, okay, wow, this is, this is tough, this is tough. Okay, Jesus, give them coffee, Holy Spirit, help them. All right, all right, your job, your job. If I'm a Jesus follower, I'm to go 
all in. That means to be sanctified. That means to be, two words, set apart. Would you say it with me? To do what? Set apart. We are to do what? Be set apart. We are to go all in in every area. And when we do, guess what? You'll see God jump in for you. God will supply. Just like he did for the Israelites, he'll show off his glory in your life. It's so cool when that happens. There's that verse, uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, he had Alzheimer's. And uh, he, uh, actually they, they helped uh, years ago when we started the, the Refuge Church. Uh, they were the first couple to join us. And uh, from just hearing about the story, an old couple, older couple, dear friends, uh, Barb and David. And David would say to me and, and pray with us every single week, like trust in the Lord with all your heart. And the very last lines that he could ever remember saying, because he just held on to, it was trust in the Lord with all of your heart. I'll never forget sitting by his bedside and just, just him saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then he would just look off. He couldn't remember anything else. And that was what he held on to. When you, when you think of something, if you want to trust in the Lord, not with some of your heart, not with a bit of your heart, a half of your heart, but to go all in. And I look at this man and he could hold on to just very little left to what he could grab onto in his mind. He's like, I want to live for conviction with just this thing. If I could just trust in the Lord with every aspect, every area of my life, I want to be obedient to the Lord. And if there's a way for us to how we can begin to live with conviction, I think it starts in, in three specific areas. One, be obedient to God's word. Just be obedient to it. I can be obedient to so many other things. Some of you are so programmed, dialed in, the first thing you get up in the morning is you grab your, your phone, your device, and it's the first thing you look at and you go to, and you make a post online. You're so obedient to that. Let's, how about let's just slow down, be obedient to the word of God. Let, listen to it and then apply it. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And then, because his, his word says, you know what his word says? This is God's word. To, secondly, to love like he loves. He, Jesus would say, I've come to fulfill the law. And he fulfilled it. And now he says, here's a new commandment I want you to do. To love one another as I have loved you. Let this be the law that you live by. James would say this is the law of liberty. Paul would say this is the, the royal law of love. This is what we are to do. We are commanded to live by. Love, forgive, accept one another right where they're at. Welcome them. And then if we could just give him the first in all of our areas, but do so joyously. Give him the first out of every area of your life, trusting him. You know, in the story that you, you saw a moment ago with Kevin and Monica, they trusted God first in their finances. And some people say, well, that's, you know, I heard the tithe and that's all, that's part of the old covenant. That was what God gave to Moses. And you just said, Joshua, Jesus fulfilled the law. And I said, I, I understand. But you see, even before the law was given to Moses on the Mount Sinai, God had actually established something precedent in the Garden of Eden. In the, well, out of, outside of the Garden of Eden, with uh, Cain and Abel. You see it right there at the beginning that God wanted, God had favor over Abel's 
offering because Abel gave the first. Cain, he gave what was left over of his crop. And then Cain got angry. And God saw that. And he's like, hey, sin's crouching at your door. Don't go there, Cain. But Cain allowed anger and allowed sin just to take over him. And he, and he killed the first man ever in history, his own brother. But God was faithful. Like he loved to, he loved to, he loves it when we give first. Because then you see later on Abraham before, before Moses. Abraham, he gets a, a, he wins a victory on this war and he runs into this priest, a priest out of Jerusalem of all places. His name is Mechazeldek and he gives him the first. He gives him like a tenth of everything he had that was given because he wanted to give it back to the Lord. And, and, and then he broke bread with and had like communion with this guy. It's really a neat picture with, with Christ. So I would say like giving to the Lord in your first and everything, it's, it predates the covenant, the old covenant. And then I would say, secondly, it even is the one area that God challenges us to test him in. Did you know this about resources, about our finances? I find this so fascinating. L- listen to what it says in um, Malachi chapter three. For those of you that are Italian, Italian you might say Malachi. Uh, for that uh, sort of thing. But, sorry, that's my elder brother over there, okay, uh, who's an Italian, Sal. Hey, just, what's up? All right, he says this, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O sons of Jacob, are you not consumed? Notice right away, God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's why I read this. So if he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever, look, it says in verse seven, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Boy, that sounds familiar. So then he says, here's the call. Return to me, he says, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? You are not robbing me, but, but you say, how have we robbed you? And God replies in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. It's like those vows that they made. And he says, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm owning up to you. Remember those vows that you made back when with Nehemiah? Okay, now you have the curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. In fact, he says in verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And he says, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until now. It's as if God throws down his infinity gauntlet, okay? He's got all of his rings right there, his stones, and he throws it down and he says, hey, here's the challenge. I I challenge you, test me. Test me right now in this. Test me with ties. And I am the same God yesterday, today, and forever. I will provide. I will be your God. I just want to be your God because I can open up any window. All the windows of heaven I can open up. And I wonder how many of our windows have been closed to God? The windows of our own doors to our cars, to our houses, to our, to our things. We, we say, well, this is mine, this is mine. But God wants it to be his. And he wants to be the provider of all things. And thirdly, I, I said like before, we, we want to do it and give joyously. Because we're not under a law that like demands it. We're under a God that like wants you to, to open up your heart to him to trust him with everything so that he can provide it. And he wants you to do it joyfully. It says in uh, 
1 Corinthians, no, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll put this on the screen because I'm going to read out of the New Living because I love how it reads it here. Chapter 8, it says, now I want you, look on the screen with me for just a moment. This is really good. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, and by the way, can I just say right at the top, I pray that this becomes our church. As we hit reset, it, listen, it took Nehemiah 52 days. I've been saying, I believe with us, as we've gathered back together, I think it's going to take us 52 weeks to reset, to go right back, to be the, like just on fire, every single one of us for Jesus Christ. But I believe it starts now. Imagine if we could be this church that Paul wrote to in Corinthians, in Corinth. And he says, I want you, dear brothers and sisters, what God is in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for their privilege of sharing the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than they, when we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to. So we urge Titus who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you to encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, you excel in your gifted speakers, in your knowledge, in your enthusiasm, in your love for us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. For he says in verse nine, you know the gracious, generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that by his poverty, he could be, make you rich. See, it's always about how God is the supplier. For God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't just give a little, he gave it all. So that we could live and experience it. And I, and I love this. He's like, man, imagine if we could be that church. And then he says in 2 Corinthians 9, he says, so I, I thought I should send Titus ahead. Ahead of me to make sure the gift that you promised is ready. But I, I want you to be, I want it to be a willing gift. Not often grudgingly. Remember this. Here's my example. He says, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will give a great small, will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. But you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Just as the scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor, their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then the bread to eat. In the same way, your God will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Man, I truly, when I read this and I think about Nehemiah and how it so can apply to our lives, if we just lived with like a great conviction to trust in the Lord completely in every area of our life, within our marriages, in our parenting, in our jobs, 
at our church, with our, the finances that God has given us. If we just trust and go all in and let God be God, we would see a great awakening in this church. Like His glory would just come and radiate and His presence would be felt. People walk into this room and they just cry and they're like, why? Man, I don't know, because the, the presence of God is here. Because His church, His gathering, His people have made a commitment, a declaration said, God, you be God. I'll be second. You be first of all things and I just want to be about you joyously and all about you. Imagine if His church could just do that. tell you what, I want to be that church. I want to be those people. I want to go all out for Jesus because the world needs Jesus. And he offers great hope, but it begins here with you and me. Man, if you struggle with finances, man, I just encourage you, one area, can you give first? Can you, can you save second and then just live off the rest? That could be an area for you to help. But I think this, this should be our starting point. Here it is, starting point for us today as we leave. The, this message, just let it, as it marinates in your heart, I think you need to believe. You need to believe in who Jesus is, believe in his promises, but don't stop there. I need you to be diligent. Be persistent. Be faithful in the smallest areas of your life. Don't give up. Believe in Jesus. Believe in his promises and just, just trust him in every area of your life. God, be your God in every area. And he will never, he will never let you down. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come before you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, your life your commitment to us, your faithfulness, because God, that never changes. You are faithful even when we're not faithful. And you always provide. And Lord, I ask, Lord, it, today, as, as we just, we're here, we've gathered, maybe we've gathered online, wherever we're at. We've got we've, we've to really wrestle with what your word says today. And we really got to believe in who you are with every area of our life. Lord, I, I pray one, that this church could be a church of generosity. It gives because it first gave to us. Lord, I, I pray that you would teach us how to love like you love. Put your word above everything else. To, to bat, let that be the authority in which we are convicted in. That we would be first to forgive. Last to judge. Last to judge. Lord, may we be the first to help build up one another, to encourage one another, to love one another. Lord, would you do that here? Would you do that right in our hearts? It's got to start somewhere. And ask by the power of your spirit that you would just do a great awakening within us because you are the faithful God. And maybe there are those in this room right now that just need that hope, that need that understanding, that need that clarity. I ask right now by faith, Lord, they would believe on you. They would trust in you with their whole heart that they would realize that they are in need of a savior 
because they have sinned and fallen short, so far short of your glory. But God, you've provided a way. And maybe that's you today. Maybe God, you're just that person that you've never gone all in for Jesus. You've never given him your whole heart. Would you ask Jesus today to be the Lord of your life, to be the king of your heart? Would you pray this prayer with me and just ask Jesus right there in, in maybe your house or right here in this seat? Would you say, dear God, I believe in you. I believe you died for my sins. And because of your great love, Lord, I, I believe in you. I believe that you just didn't stay dead, but you rose from the grave. And because you live, Jesus, I want to live for you. Thank you. Thank you, God, for loving me and accepting me just as I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.